the legislature is back and the so-called pipeline controversy continues to boil. As well, the provincial budget will hit the table next week. To talk about all that and more, Global BC's Keith Baldry, the Vancouver Sun's Vaughn Palmer, and BC Today's Shannon Waters. Later in the show, my conversation this week with Premier John Horton. Accountable to you. This is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford for Kamloops Computer Centre on Radio NL. Good morning and welcome. It is a wintry morning here in Kamloops. The snow falling and now we're getting a little blue sky. Uh, it's a pleasure to always welcome to the show uh, Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer and making your panel debut this morning, Shannon Waters. Welcome all. Good morning. Thank you. Morning, Shane. Uh, I'm going to give you guys uh, just two heads up as we go. We're, we're, of course, waiting for this Patella Bridge announcement. Uh, as soon as we get details on that, we'll jump all over it. Uh, the other thing is, is uh, I did a crazy run down to the down to Metro Vancouver and back, so I'm on four hours sleep. So if at any point in the program I suddenly fall silent and hear some snoring, you guys just keep on talking, okay? okay you got it. Still <laughs> do. All right. Uh, off the top, uh, this, this battle between BC and Alberta continues to be uh, an interesting one. Uh, the Prime Minister weighing in, uh, amping up the heat on John Horgan on this thing. Uh, Keith, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, what kind of ground is the is the Premier standing on? Is he is he on stable ground? Is he starting to kind of hedge his bets? What's going on there? Oh, I think it's pretty shaky ground. Uh, but, you know, John Horgan has a very delicate balancing act he's got to perform here. He has to appease a significant anti-pipeline um, attitude within his, the NDP constituency. He can't ignore that. He vowed to use every tool in the toolbox to stop Kinder Morgan. Um, but having said that, I think he's been caught off guard, uh, and the rest of his caucus has as well, by Rachel Notley's very aggressive response to this unexpected um, uh, disclosure by the government that was going to craft a regulation to control the flow of bitumen through the uh, Kinder Morgan pipeline, which was a shot across the bow of the Alberta government. And the Alberta government responded very aggressively by banning uh, the importation of B.C. wine, and I think that's caught uh, the NDP government in B.C. off guard. And for the first time since it was elected, unsure of itself. It's not a, not a strong position for the B.C. NDP right now. Most constitute well, every constitutional scholar I've seen has said B.C. doesn't have a legal leg to stand on here. Constitutionally, it's very clear it can't block uh, that what goes through that pipeline. It's, uh, there's a bit of scrambling going on in the B.C. government. I think for the first time, the Liberals have an issue in the House uh, that puts the NDP on, defensive, on the defensive. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Vaughn, to you, uh, how is this, uh, and there's a lot of speculation, especially on these daycare dollars, uh, what the relationship is currently like between the Premier and the Prime Minister in Ottawa, Victoria. Uh, they do need some federal funding on a number of fronts. Uh, things a little frosty, or what's going on behind the scenes? Oh, I think the fact that the Prime Minister came out and blamed John Horgan for putting the National Climate Action Strategy at risk uh, with his stand on the pipeline, was a major development. Uh, originally, you recall, Trudeau's reaction was, well, you know, we're the federal government, you've got two provinces disagreeing, and that happens, and we're kind of going to be the referee. But then he comes out and says, look, the deal with Alberta was you take the carbon tax and we'll uh, go ahead with the approval on this pipeline, and the Prime Minister says the carbon tax in Alberta, the, uh, the climate action plan in Alberta, is put at risk by British Columbia's attempt to block this pipeline. So he's pointed to John Horgan as the bad guy. Uh, Trudeau doesn't very often um, 
call someone a bad guy. Somebody said that, you know, his his personality is such he doesn't like to give bad news to people. He likes the Boy Scout, Scout uh, Sunny Ways thing, which uh, was not a problem anybody ever noted with his father, but he certainly, this is unusual for Trudeau, and you're right, we saw a little sign of it last week. The provincial government had lined up some federal money, $150 million, to pay for child care over three years, and the province was hoping to announce it at a press conference with federal representatives last Friday afternoon, a week ago, and Ottawa canceled the press conference, quote, for scheduling reasons. Well, I think that was a message from Ottawa that I'm very happy with the province right now for disrupting a national economic and climate change strategy. Shannon, uh, the throne speech, uh, of course, happening earlier this week, and as is usual, the Premier has been doing a bunch of media. Uh, have you noticed anything in, in, in what he's saying or how his, how his body language is as far as uh, the pipe Vine controversy, as it's called. Uh, anything on that front as far as how he's sort of hedging himself? To me, he seems pretty resolved on the issue. Um, you know, Horgan may be on shaky ground, constitutionally speaking, or when it comes to jurisdiction, but I think he's been pretty consistent on his messaging when it comes to this pipeline, that it's not in BC's best interest. He's defending BC's best interests. Um, and that the project is is too much of a risk for the province, which unfortunately I think is going to make it difficult for him to back down if it comes to that, if Ottawa actually gets really serious about, you know, potentially withholding funding or if Alberta decides to escalate things. Yeah, that's a good point. And Rachel Notley certainly seems to be maneuvering in that direction. Uh, Keith, let's go back to the jurisdiction issue because it's it's an interesting one. Uh, you would think that the BC wouldn't have much muscle to wave. It seems to me, and I don't know if you'll agree or disagree, it seems that the Premier's hanging his hat, of course, on the court system, number one, but uh, the other one he seems to be hanging his hat on is the NEB process itself, basically saying it's not resolved and therefore the jurisdictional issue is still a little bit up in the air. He can, I think he can. Uh, he can hope to tie this up in the in the uh, court process as much as possible. Um, I mean, I agree with Shannon that he he can't really back off from his anti pipeline position suddenly because somebody's got a legal opinion that says you don't you don't have any legal muscle. Uh, but at the end of the day, he can hang his hat on the fact that if the courts and various court challenges prove to be unsuccessful, he can say, "Well, look, I did everything in my power." to block this thing, and we weren't uh, successful. So uh, I think that's his strategy here. He's got to maintain his position. What's unexpected, though, I don't think he foresaw Alberta uh, engaging in this trade war while these inevitable court challenges work their way through the system, whether it's a challenge to the National Energy Board or whether someone gets in the court uh, and, and challenges the pipeline. Already I see that uh, the National Energy Board yesterday issued some approvals for uh, Kinder Morgan to get to work, Trans Mountain to get to work on uh, borrowing that tunnel through Burnaby Mountain, but already there's word there's going to be a, a court challenge to the NEB's approval of that. So there's a lot of legal mayhem that may occur here uh, over over a period of time. And Horgan just has to sit there and bear it uh, because he can't back away from his, uh, his anti-pipeline position, which has been there for uh, some time yet. But in the meantime, there may be some industries that suffer as a result because of Alberta's punitive actions, and notably starting with the, uh, the BC wine industry, and it may spread. Yeah, uh, Vaughn, uh, the premier has already raised the the aspect that this thing could end up in in the Supreme Court of Canada. Is that ultimately where a question will be decided, or no? 
Well, I think it does end up in court eventually, and I think the British Columbia government would be quite happy to see the whole thing tied up in court for a few years. Uh, Burnaby's doing been doing that for a while. But, you know, Shannon made a very good point, which is the Premier has, especially in question period, been positioning himself, I'm standing up for British Columbia, I'm standing up for our coast, I'm defending British Columbia, I'm defending our coast. Premiers here in B.C. over the years who've picked fights with Ottawa, standing up for the province against uh, interference by the federal government or heavy-handed federal policy, they've tended to do okay. I uh, see Horgan pushing back at the liberals saying, you know, you're just you're taking Alberta's side, I'm taking BC's side. The political battle here may come out quite differently than the legal constitutional battle. I think Shannon has raised a good issue there. And uh, last word to you on this topic, Shannon, uh, and I think Keith referenced it earlier, but it seems to me that the Liberal opposition, of course, under new leader Andrew Wilkinson, uh, was having trouble sort of navigating which issues to take the government to task on because they, you know, carry so much onus. Things like ICBC and stuff always come back to bite them. Uh, but this seems to be one where they can really, really kind of create a wedge issue with the government. Is that what you're seeing as the ledge resumes? Well, it's definitely dominated question period this week. I think it's an issue that the Liberal caucus has uh, kind of sunk its teeth into at this point. But I'm not sure they're getting as much traction, at least sort of in the House, as they might be hoping for. Um, you know, some interesting and, and colorful clashes between Wilkinson and Horgan in the House. But I'm, you know, I'm not sure that it was particularly evident that Wilkinson came out on top and challenges from uh, other Liberal MLAs. Um, again, the NDP saying, you know, we're standing up for BC, whereas you are siding with Alberta, you're not representing the province's interests. And then, of course, um, you know, when it comes to sort of the rest of the liberal legacy, that old refrain of 16 years is, uh, is being repeated often. All right, uh, we'll take a quick break here and uh, some breaking news of the Lower Mainland. We'll talk about it next, change things up a little bit. But, uh, guys, the province is going to assume the entire $1.3 billion cost to replace the aging Patella Bridge. Looks like it's bye-bye TransLink Bridge, hello, BC Government Bridge. So we'll talk about that on the other side of this commercial break with Keith, Vaughn, and Shannon on Radio NL. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. For Kamloops Computer Center. This is Radio NL's Inside Politics. Here's NL News Director, Shane Woodford. Good morning. Thank you for listening. We're talking to Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer, and Shannon Waters. Uh, news just coming down the wire right now. Uh, the province is going to assume the full cost of the $1.3 billion Patella Bridge replacement between Surrey and New Westminster. It's going to be a four-lane structure uh, scheduled to be complete in 2023. Vaughn, why don't we start with you? You kind of forecast that this bridge may be taken back from TransLink. Uh, what are your thoughts on what the government's just announced? Yeah, everyone in British Columbia now owns the Patella Bridge and is going to be on the hook for replacing it. It was a regional bridge. In fact, the Patello Bridge was given by the last NDP government about 20 years ago to the region. And it was part of a deal that saw the provincial government take on more cost and expense to build transit lines in the region and to take the region off the hook 
for paying its share of hospital financing. So it was a clear financial trade-off. And the region did what uh, Metro Vancouver always does, which is they took the money, they thanked the provincial government very, very much for taking it off the hook on the hospital financing, and they spent the next 20 years putting off the need to postpone the Patello and whining for more provincial money. They are now getting it. This is a direct consequence of... Ten seats in Metro Vancouver having changed hands from the Liberals to the NDP, and this is what happens when you get a government that is overwhelmingly centered in Metro Vancouver. $1.3 billion for the region to replace its regional bridge, um, and no recollection of the deal that sent that bridge to the region in the first place. <laughs> uh, Shannon, to you, we got a budget coming down uh, next week, and now the province is going to shell out $1.3 billion for this new bridge. That's going to have an impact. Yes, for sure. And if the update was any indication, there wasn't a whole lot of room um, sort of left over when the NDP is uh, fulfilling spending on its other campaign promises. So it'll be interesting to see how long they've been planning this for, where where they've allocated funding. The other thing that stands out to me is they're now replacing a bridge in the lower mainland after removing tolls from other bridges, which is something that really didn't sit well with some of the other areas of the province, particularly northern bc who are kind of asking themselves you know why are we being asked to shoulder costs for a bridge we don't really use yeah and uh, here in the interior the complaint was hey we paid the full ride for the coca what's going on uh, going down in lower mainland uh keith uh, the thing that stands out to me on this one is i believe in the original pitch there was a third a third a third between the fed the province and the, and, uh, the region uh, where'd the federal money go in all this I'm not sure the federal money was ever ever really going to be there because it was a TransLink bridge and not a provincial uh, a bridge, and it wasn't part of a, a federal highway system. Uh, I was I always thought this was going to be uh, either a TransLink funded bridge or some sort of partnership with the province. I'm a bit surprised that the province has taken 100% ownership of this thing, but it's as Vaughn points out, it's uh, it's another sign of, of the, the BCNDP's political center is in Metro Vancouver, and that's why. Uh, I think you can frame that against all sorts of issues and positions they're going to take on a number of issues, that it's uh, it's a very urbanized party, and the Patel Bridge is sort of ground zero when it comes to uh, transportation problems in Metro Vancouver. I mean, as a kid who had to cross that thing all the time, it's just it's a death trap, a nightmare to actually drive that thing. It's uh, long overdue for replacement, and the fact that uh, Horgan has decided to go all in on this thing, I guess, shouldn't come as a surprise, since this is where his, uh, his political base is. It exists. I mean, this bridge connects Surrey to New West. You couldn't find two more friendly NDP ridings than North Surrey and New Westminster. And I think politics is a big big factor in this decision. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on the death drop. I went over it twice yesterday. Uh, it is it is a scary ride. And don't forget the safety report in that thing said a strong wind could knock it down. Good Lord. Right, it should be a, a ride with tickets at Mayland. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know, it once caught on fire, actually. Remember, the one of the approaches was uh, the timber yeah. underneath it was creosote lumber, yeah. uh, not steel, and it, it caught on fire. So, no, there's no question on the safety issue, Shane, but the other flip side of this is um, you know, this is also a very Metro Vancouver-centered government, and uh, that's how they've decided to proceed. Uh, the previous Metro-centered government, the Liberals, were going to do 
replace the Massey, but at least that was a provincial highway and a provincial bridge. This is just the provincial government taking back a regional bridge and uh, putting up $1.3 billion to replace it. And once again, the mayors are off the hook. It's an election year for them, and they're not having to face up the job of raising any money on their own. Mm. Uh, Shannon, the other big transportation gridlock down there is the George Massey Tunnel, something the Liberals have been trying to make political hay out of. Does the move to replace the Patella take some heat off of that? Does it put more of a focus on it? What do you think? Well, I have seen a couple of tweets in the lead-up to this announcement from liberal MLAs mentioning the George Massey Tunnel. You know, why are we even talking about the Patello? That's five years down the road. George Massey needs to be done yesterday. Um, so I'm not sure it's going to take any heat off the government that way. I think it might draw... Um, draw some more attention. And again, it, these are projects that are focused in the Lower Mainland, somewhere that the government is, is drawing its strength from, but uh, I think could potentially alienate them even more from, from other areas of the province, and I'm not sure how long they can afford to keep doing that for. No, that's an excellent point, and it, does, it definitely doesn't play well outside the Lower Mainland, that's for sure. Uh, on the issue of, uh, I know that the, uh, the, the was it the, the, the not tolling, but the, the long-distance pricing, uh, the phrasing is escaping my Tired mind right now, but mobility pricing. Mobility pricing. Thank you for coming to the rescue. You're looking for. <laughs> uh, on that issue, uh, one of the easiest points is the choke point thing, which is bridges and tunnels. Although I don't think they're ever going to go back there after having removed them and, and uh-huh. you know getting a pretty significant political reward. Uh, but how do they do that now? If they're going to replace the patella, does that mean we're looking at distance pricing within Metro Vancouver itself now as the sole source of revenue there, Keith? Oh, I still think the jury's out on that whole concept. I mean, from a dry public policy perspective, yeah, you can come up with a mobility pricing plan and congestion taxes and uh, choke points and this type of thing. But politically, it's a hand grenade. And it's uh, the lesson of the 2017 election has to be one of the lessons is that you the tolls were a big factor. People liked the fact they didn't have to pay tolls, and they rewarded the party that was most aggressive on that issue with political victory. And I don't see, first of all, I don't see the NDP government taking ownership of a sudden new elaborate tax system that taxes drivers. I mean, quite the opposite. The mayors will have to get themselves uh, behind this, uh, and they're going to have to be the ones to own this and to present it to the government. But even that, I mean, the Metro Vancouver mayors, trying to get them to do something is like herding cats. They just can't come together on anything that involves uh, taxes. Uh, uh, They become... Uh, you know, almost cowardly, even talking about the notion of inflicting a, a, a payment on their constituents to pay for transit or transportation. So I, just, I think mobility pricing, I'd be very surprised if we ever see that, because politically, it's an orphan. Nobody wants to take ownership of it. Uh, last word to you, Vaughn. Uh, I know TransLink, was, TransLink did have Patella, now not so much anymore. It's not the only bridge under TransLink purview. Are, are they going to lose them all? Uh, yeah, no, they're they're basically now a bus company and a transit line company, and presumably, haha, they will be expected to come up with a little bit more money uh, still to pay for their share of the two transit lines. Although I don't see any announcement on that yet. Uh, the press conference is still going on as we speak. But here's something else to throw into the mix, which is if the New Democrats have their way on proportional representation, their preferred system is a system called MMP, and for Folks in the north and the interior, that would eliminate about half of their local ridings in the legislature. So the government's long-term drive is to reduce local representation in the north and the interior, which would make the government, if it were re-elected, even more Metro Vancouver-centered than it is now. 
All right. Let's take a quick break here on Inside Politics and Radio NL and continue our conversation with Keith, Vaughn, and Shannon on the other side. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. For Kamloops Computer Center. You're listening to Inside Politics on Radio NL. Once again, here's Shane Woodford. Welcome back. We're talking to Shannon Waters, Vaughn Palmer, and Keith Baldry here on Inside Politics. Uh, guys, we had the throne speech this week, which uh, has some pretty heavy hints about what we're going to see next week in the budget. Uh, Vaughn, I know you did some digging as we all talked to the Premier this week. In your interview, uh, he talked about something called appurtenancy uh, to do with the forestry industry. What's that and what does it mean? Yeah, it's a, an old term that used to be a big deal in British Columbia, appurtenancy. Uh, and basically what it meant was on provincial land, if you were harvesting timber, the timber had to go to a mill within the region. Often, the company that had the, the tree farm license or the cutting rights owned a mill in the region, and that's where the wood went. Uh, it started to be eroded in the 90s, but it really got eliminated under uh, what were called market reforms by the B.C. Liberals in 2003. And it was part of a dramatic transformation in the forest industry. An awful lot of wood now uh, just gets moved to wherever they're willing to pay the best price for it, and a lot of mills closed, and a lot of production jobs disappeared. Well, what uh, John Horgan's uh, throne speech said this week was that the New Democrats want to restore the social contract between the forest industry and B.C. forest-dependent communities, and the Premier made it clear and talked to him about it, that that means trying to go back, it's a long process, they'll have to be careful, but trying to go back to the old days where if the wood was harvested in your region, it went to a mill in your region, not to some mill far away where the jobs would go with it. Shannon, you know a little something about this topic. Uh, how will this play out as far as uh, the north and, and the interiors need to revitalize its lagging forestry sector? Well, I think it, it would be a welcome move from the government as it, as it would provide support. And really, I mean, another line from the throne speech, they're talking about maximizing the value that the province gets from from every log that is harvested in the province. And to me, that seems like a pretty uh, straightforward way to go about achieving that is uh, to go back to appurtenancy. I mean, forestry, uh, especially up north, um, is, is going to suffer under the softwood lumber sanctions as as the province and the country really struggle to um, to try to come to terms with the approach that the U.S. is taking. So um, any measures I think that the government can take to support the industry will be welcomed. Uh, Keith, to you, uh, I imagine that the old uh, raw log export situation will factor into this. Well, will, and um, actually I think it was Shannon who asked Horgan a question about this in the scrum after the throne speech, that there will be some restrictions on, on raw log exports. But, you know, the NDP government in the 90s um, really inserted itself into the forest industry in terms of, uh, of coming up with all sorts of regulations and rules and had a very checkered record on this. Uh, for the forest industry in B.C. is not terribly healthy from an economic point of view. It doesn't take much to tip some of these small companies into uh, going out of business. And it's, uh, it's going to be interesting whether the NDP can pull this off with having much interference, whether it's that pertinency or a, 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 a reduction in, uh, in raw log exports. There's a, a lot of people who are employed in the province industry simply because of raw log exports. I mean, they chop down the trees and they export them, and that's where the employment comes. And that's basically been a pretty firm base of employment for a number of years. Uh, 
um, Vaughn and I were talking yesterday. When we first started in this business many years ago, covering BC politics, you had to be an expert in forestry. There's so many technical issues with forestry. It was such a huge industry in the 80s and, and 90s. The forest uh, unions were, were incredibly powerful, and there were many of them. There was the IWA and the Canadian Paper Workers Union. Um, but that, those days are gone. Um, the forestry industry is still a, a, a vital part of BC's economy, but it is a shadow of itself from the 80s, uh, the 70s. 60s, 70s, 80s, it basically as this province grew up, it grew up with the forest industry, and those days are over. So I'm not sure the NEP can pull off uh, a miracle here and, and restore that industry to its once grand scale, uh, even with these uh, these new proposed rules. All right, uh, running out of time, but let's go quickly around the horn on the daycare issue. Uh, $10 a day daycare was the big slogan in the election campaign, and although the province sounds like they're going to forge ahead on childcare, uh, they seem to be shying away from that once popular slogan, Vaughn. The slogan wasn't mentioned in the uh, throne speech, and the Premier also reminded reporters that it wasn't the NDP's original idea. The $10 a day child care was uh, summoned up into being by advocates of child care. Yes, the NDP endorsed it as a goal in their election platform, but it, the Premier is taking some distance from it, and it is not clear how quickly we will move to that. There certainly will be money for child care in the budget next week, but... I'd be surprised if you get the commitment the NDP made in the election platform, which was $855 million in funding over three years. Yeah, and that's a pretty big gap. They got the $150 million in federal funding, uh, but that's a pretty big gap between $850 million. Shannon? Yes, it certainly is. And I thought it was interesting, um, as Vaughn said, the Premier kind of distanced himself from the $10 a day uh, policy this week by basically saying it was a branding exercise. It was a way to talk about bringing in child care, but they are not particularly um, stuck on the $10 a day thing. Also, this is something that um, Green Party leader Andrew Weaver has been highly critical of. He doesn't want $10 a day child care. He thinks, you know, the number is arbitrary and that a means-tested approach would be better. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, the NDP have kind of conceded a little bit on that front uh, in order to keep Weaver happy. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. Uh, Keith, it sure didn't sound like a branding exercise in the election campaign, did it? No, this is a, this is a big, more than a slogan. I mean, we even challenged uh, John Horgan in the election campaign. Are you sure? You know, this, this seems like a slogan, a, a buzzword. And he said, no, no, this is real. Well, it's not. And uh, he's basically all but acknowledged that. We're never going to see $10 a day daycare. That's just, I think that's just a myth now. Uh, we are, though, going to see some investment in child care from the NDP government that is going to be significantly more than we saw under the BC Liberals. There's no question that the NDP will forge ahead uh, in an aggressive way to create more child care spaces and more affordable child care spaces, and they may well move to a means-tested uh, type of uh, charge for, for people. But the $10 day daycare, never believed it when it first came out. Don't believe it now. We're never going to see it. We're going to see improved daycare, but not $10 a day. Sounds like a baby pigeon. No one's ever seen one. <laughs> uh, guys, thank you. Appreciate it as always. Look forward to talking to all of you uh, next week. Thanks very much. There we go. Shannon Waters, Vaughn Palmer, and Keith Baldry on today's Inside Politics. We're going to take a quick break on the show. On the other side, I had a chance to talk to the Premier after the throne speech this week. We'll listen in on that conversation on Radio NL. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. Keeping you informed from both sides. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Radio NL's Inside Politics with Shane Woodford. 
Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. As we all know, earlier this week, uh, the province unveiling its throne speech, a 50-minute affair with lots of big hints about what we'll see next week when the NDP's first full provincial budget is tabled. I say full budget because uh, we saw a half budget last September uh, and we're going to see the first full budget, their first full-on provincial budget next week. I had a chance to chat the day after the big throne speech with BC Premier John Horgan. Let's take a listen to that conversation right now. First off, the uh, off the pop, you've got you obviously set the foundation for your next week's budget with yesterday's throne speech. Uh, the obvious question first: a lot of pricey promises out there. Uh, is the budget, in fact, going to be balanced? Yeah, I have every confidence uh, that when Carol James stands next week to table our first full budget, that it will meet uh, the test of balance. It will meet the test of addressing the issues that British Columbians have been talking to us about: making life more affordable, uh, providing. Uh, childcare for families that are desperate to find spaces, uh, making sure that we've got adequate housing supply, uh, that we curb the demand uh, been brought upon by speculation, and on the renter side, provide some security for people who are concerned that they may well be out on the streets should something go sideways. These are issues that uh, we've heard over and over again, and we laid out the the, uh, the roadmap yesterday in the throne speech, and next week's budget will put uh, put the uh, dollars in place to make that reality. Uh, I know the child care is one of the bigger planks. Uh, you got that 150 mil over three years from the feds. Uh, you'll obviously throw in money of your own, but uh, uh, depending on what we see next week, John, are we going to get, are parents going to get some kind of relief, be it in cost or rebate or whatever? Well, our focus uh, initially, and it's a, it's a long-term plan, as you know, the, the, the plan focuses on initially uh, infant and toddler care, which is the hardest to find. Uh, we're focusing on training more early childhood educators. We're way behind in terms of the number of people that can actually step into licensed spaces, and we are way behind in spaces. So we're going to focus on building out the system, staffing it up, and making sure that families, uh, starting with infant and toddler care, uh, can find licensed spaces. And, and that's, that's the message we've heard loud and clear uh, from the public, and, and that's what we'll be delivering on. How high a priority is cost, though? I mean, not so much here in Kamloops, but I know when we were looking for daycare in New Westminster, Metro Vancouver, I mean, you were lucky to find $1,400 a month and, and often north of that. Is that a concern and a priority? Well, that's the whole focus of the affordability and accessibility is if we bring on more supply, uh, that will uh, pre- create more competition and drive down costs. And we also believe that, you know, oftentimes uh, people look at child care as a social program when in fact it's an economic program. If we are going to realize our full potential as an economy, if families are going to realize their full potential in neighborhoods and communities, uh, they need to be able to, to enter, re-enter the workforce after the, uh, the blessed arrival of a child. But people are reluctant to do that unless they can find affordable childcare. If the math doesn't work, people will stay home. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but most people are needing those two incomes to make ends meet these days because of the high costs of almost everything. Uh, on the speculation front, I'm sure the welcome news that that is a being uh, sort of uh, put out there publicly, considering the last government uh, chose to dance around it. But two uh, percent speculation tax, I believe, is what you ran on the campaign. Is that what we're going to see next week, or is there going to be something more robust than that? There's a, a whole basket of initiatives. Uh, I don't want to preempt that, but uh, Minister Robinson and Minister James have been working very closely. Uh, on meeting the, these three issues that we talk about so often, the supply and demand that's traditional, but also the security side. And that's where uh, making sure that renters have recourse to the residential tenancy branch for protection, uh, rent eviction uh, 
issues are dealt with appropriately. Manufactured homes, uh, people living in uh, affordable manufactured home parks sometimes are displaced when uh, developers move into the neighborhood. So we want to make sure there are protections in place for them as well. Uh, zoning for rental housing, John, is that going to become something the province is going to work with the municipal governments to establish? Very much so. And that's, again, uh, I, I put Selena Robinson in charge of uh, municipal affairs, housing, and TransLink in the Lower Mainland because we need to make sure that we're building density along corridors. And when we're building that density, we're encouraging the development community to build housing that people need, not just one-bedroom condos. Uh, and, and that means working with municipal governments. We've had a very positive response uh, so far in the Lower Mainland and the South Island. And as we, we start working uh, more broadly with municipal governments across the piece in the interior and in the north, uh, whatever steps we can take, bringing land to the table, assisting with uh, um, transit and transportation infrastructure so that we can have uh, developments that make sense to communities, whether they're rural or urban, uh, I think that's what the people expect their government to do. And I'm excited to have the opportunity in this first full budget to start chipping away at these problems. But as you say, they've been ignored for a considerable period of time. Uh, housing, childcare, both have been secondary issues for the previous government, and we want to make them high priorities because that's what families are telling us matters to them. All right. The pipeline dispute uh, with your good friend, Rachel Notley, uh, you talked about lowering the temperature. You obviously have a position that you're, you're not going to back off on, but uh, what options are on the table to find a solution and to lower that temperature? What can you do? Well, certainly uh, federal officials, I believe, are uh, out again this week uh, to talk to officials in the uh, provincial government here. And uh, I look forward to hearing uh, reports on how that's going. But at the end of the day, uh, uh, this is not a surprise to anyone. Uh, we campaigned uh, to ensure that we were protecting the interests of British Columbia's economy and our environment. And I believe that's what we're doing. I, I was surprised at the, uh, the response from the government of Alberta. And uh, I remain uh, confident that the jurisdiction question is very much uh, on our side. And I think most Canadians would understand that the government of British Columbia uh, is in place to protect the interests of the people and the province. And that's absolutely what I intend to do. Uh, I know you wanted a possible moratorium on increasing oil exports. Is that still on the table, John, or is that something that's going to be quietly shuffled off to the side? Well, I, I don't know. This moratorium word keeps coming up, and it was nowhere to be found in our uh, preliminary uh, press release. We're doing an intentions paper, which is what government does whenever we're looking at regulations to protect uh, citizens uh, on, of any kind. Uh, so I don't think we're, we're even heading down that track. I think there was an overreaction to our desire to uh, assert that British Columbia has to have a say in these issues. We were sidetracked uh, during the uh, National Energy Board process. Uh, now we see uh, the federal government is investing some 40-plus million dollars in doing scientific work around the impact and the activity that bitumen has in the marine environment, They're doing that work in uh, the Maritimes for some reason. And uh, I don't know why uh, it's okay for the federal government to look for more information, more science, but it's not okay for the province to do the same thing. Ultimately, should this question over the pipeline be resolved one way or another in the court? I'm not talking on the First Nations challenge, but some kind of process-related question uh, at the highest court of the land? Well, there are a number of court processes already underway. Uh, the provincial court is looking at the uh, rights and title question from an Indigenous perspective. The federal appeal court has heard from the province. We uh, made our case that BC's interests were not adequately addressed during the National Energy Board process. 
And it may well be that we find ourselves at the Supreme Court when it comes to this, this question of jurisdiction. But what we do know is that the government of Alberta is uh, taking direct shots at uh, the wine industry. A clear violation of internal trade agreements that were signed by B.C. and Alberta and other provinces uh, whereas our actions are, I believe, completely consistent with uh, our jurisdiction uh, under the Constitution to talk uh, to citizens, to, uh, to work on policies that will protect our economy. Uh, and, and so I think we're, we're on two different tracks. And I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, I'm trying to be measured here. I don't want to overreact. And I don't want to get sidetracked, quite honestly. We have a lot of work to do on a whole bunch of issues health care, mental health. 1,400 people died of addictions last year. That's not going away because uh, Alberta is boycotting BC wine or, or uh, announcing every other day that they're uh, uh, taking on the people of British Columbia. I don't think that's how cooperative federalism works. We agree on so many things across the country. Uh, the fact that we have a periodic disagreement is our strength. Uh, but when one province uh, uh, acts uh, a counter to signed agreements, this uh, and, and the notion that the uh, NEB process is completed is just not true. Uh, there are multiple court cases at play. Uh, the federal government knows that. The provincial government in Alberta knows that as well. Uh, John, on education, I know you're familiar with the needs in this in this school district. Uh, we have, uh, thanks to the affordability refugees, and a massive influx of people coming into Kamloops, some 700 new kids over the last two school years. Uh, they're desperate for space. Uh, they have a capital wish list. So far, nothing. Any relief for them coming in the budget next week? Well, uh, Minister Fleming and I were uh, in uh, uh, Winfield uh, two weeks ago announcing a new middle school there to relieve some pressure uh, in the uh, central Okanagan. But the pressure, as you say, is, uh, is increasing in rural British Columbia, where for uh, almost a decade the former government was closing schools. So we're very, uh, very much aware that uh, fast-growing rural areas need to have modernized and appropriate infrastructure so our kids can realize their full potential. And the capital plan for the next three years uh, is about $14.6 billion. That includes uh, uh, working on the highway from Kamloops East. That, that includes uh, uh, hospital improvements in the interior. That includes schools, uh, roads, and other infrastructure. And, and we're committed to, to, to making sure that we're meeting the needs of people in every corner of the province, including and particularly in Kamloops. All right, we'll have to see if he holds true to his word. The budget will be tabled next week. We're all aware of the school district's needs here in Kamloops as they hunt for some capital funding uh, for some badly needed school expansion as well as some new schools themselves. Uh, that's it for today's show here at Inside Politics on Radio NL. Uh, it was a good show, good to deal with some breaking news as they announced the Patella Bridge right in the middle of it. My thanks to my guest today, Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer, Shannon Waters, and then the conversation you just heard with Premier John Horgan. Look forward to seeing you again on Inside Politics here on Radio NL next Friday. Local. First. CHNL. AM 610 in Kamloops. RadioNL.com. The Valley's first choice for local news.